Well, there really, I don't think, could be a better song to choose than Blessed Be Your Name this morning. Um, because today we're talking about Lent, and we're talking about uh, offering in a time of abundance, the first fruits. And we're talking about offering in a time of slightly less than abundance, your first fruits. And we're talking about a time of offering in a time of suffering and wilderness, also your first fruits. And that, that was all covered in the song so perfectly. And I kind of want you to think through that as we talk or as we read through our sermon text for today, um, which is Luke 4, 1 through 13. It's on page 1017 of your pew Bibles. I kind of want you to think through the Deuteronomy text that Jared just read for us about this, this excitement and joy at entering the, the promised land and giving your first fruits while also remembering the troubles and trials that you've already gone through. All while we're reading this, but don't worry, we'll, we'll catch up if you can't keep that all in, in mind while we're going. So Luke 4, 1 through 13 Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become your bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed, showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. God, we, th we thank you for this time of Lent. We ask for your work in our hearts. We ask for your wisdom through your word. We ask that um, you would speak to us, each in, each in their own hearts, um, what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we had a nice uh, Ash Wednesday service this past Wednesday. And Hans-Erik started us out by asking about what we're giving up 
And I'm just curious today, uh, not you, no one has to share it this time, but by show of hands, who gave something up for Lent? Excellent. Who is doing something special for Lent? Also excellent. Who doesn't really particularly celebrate Lent? Also excellent. <laughs> so I, uh, I grew up in a mostly non-religious house. Mostly, I say, because my mom grew up Catholic and uh, she went to a really strict Catholic school in the country in the 1950s. So if you're wondering why she's a little against religion, you have your answer, actually. Um, but she, she really didn't practice religion at all, except for Lent. And I, I remember that very, very keenly, because I, I don't really know why. Um, but she was very firm that on Fridays you give up red meat and you give something up for Lent, but usually it was the red meat that she gave up. And I found it very funny in our society of abundance because our local VFW catered to everyone who gave up red meat on Fridays. And so for, for the most part, a lot of people, that was their thing that they gave up every year was red meat on Fridays. And then the VFW would have fish fry Fridays. And so you would all come down and get free fish fry at the VFW and have this giant neighborhood party. And you didn't really end up giving up anything at all, right? You just had this party every Friday. And so it was almost, <laughs> it, was, it was really counterproductive. Uh, and I, I, Envision that when I think of Lent in a time of plenty. Because we are in a society where even when we struggle, really we have what we need. We are in that place of abundance that the song talked about. Blessed be your name when there's plentiful. How easy is it or how hard is it in your own life to praise God when things are plentiful? And that's a question only you can answer. I think I've gone through times of wavering. I think I personally have gone through times when things are so plentiful that maybe I've forgotten just how much I need God. Or Things are so plentiful that I can't help but just fall on my knees and praise God. And of course, everything in between that. So my question to you, where do you fall right now, do you think, in times of plenty? Do you need to work on that? On that fall down and worship God? Blessed be your name because everything is so good. Or maybe that's a point of something forgotten. And I think that is the very, very, very first point of Lent. So before we get into our scripture or anything else, that is Lent number one. <laughs> Where are you in those really good, happy times? Are you giving up one thing 
just so that you can celebrate, like giving up red meat so that you can have a fish fry party. I wonder if your challenge, before we even move further, is to say, huh, how do I bless God in this time of plenty? But that's not really what we're talking about at all today. Because in the passage Jared read, well, the people hadn't actually gotten to the promised land yet. See, we've, I feel like we're moving through the points really quickly. It feels really productive. Uh, so, so the people hadn't gotten to the promised land yet. And God is instructing them, when you get there, give me your first fruits. What does that mean? So our first fruits in a land that is plentiful, well, that means something different. That means maybe I have to really work to give up something that is challenging because I have so much that even giving up my first fruits doesn't feel like it's pushing me at all. It is like giving up something that you'll never miss, like giving up red meat when you can go celebrate instead. Giving up your first fruits when you haven't yet earned them is a little harder. And I think that's probably where a lot of people fall on the spectrum. I think giving up your first fruits when things are a little more challenging, and that can mean everything. If we are to be literal, that would mean in the harvest, before you store up food for the winter and before you sell food, you first give the offering to God. You don't know how much of your harvest is going to come in. You don't know if you're going to make it through the winter, and you don't know if you're going to have enough to sell, and you don't know if you're going to make it at all, but you have this first fruit, and you still, <laughs> sorry, my throat's dry, uh, you still give it to God, all of it. That's giving your first fruit, and you are going on the faith that that's going to come in. A little more practically in our, in our society, that would be budgeting to give an offering for God before you do the rest of your budget, looking at your budget and saying, I am going to commit to giving this to God before my taxes and before my necessities. First and foremost, I commit to giving to God. That's your first fruits. And I think that's where a lot of people f fall. And that's not necessarily just financial, but that's a lot, a lot of things in our lives that we see, okay, this is going to be a challenge. I don't know if I can give up this thing without really pressing on my needs in this situation. We talked about, about giving up anger or about giving up um, some very basic like feelings on, on Wednesday, and that's impressive because I don't know if I can give this up first without affecting how the rest of the day will go. If I don't put myself in charge and show that I mean what I, what I say and I, I don't stand up for myself, 
well, they might not take me seriously and I might not get what I need, but committing to give up anger, for example, before anything else, and going to God in prayer, that takes real thought and that takes real arranging of your schedule and real arranging of your whole communication style, that's a first fruit that is practical to today. So before we go further, is there something in your life that is challenging? Maybe you don't feel like you're in the land of plenty yet, but you know if you give this thing up first, God will bless you immensely through it. Is that where you are? But where we're really focusing today is none of those places. Where we are really focusing today is going to be on the wilderness place and on the land of suffering. Because we think of Lent as that winter time, and we think of Lent as that time where we live into the struggle before we get to Easter, and Easter is the promised land. Easter is where we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. We think of Lent as the time where things aren't all well yet. This is where the passage is today. And so far we've jumped around a lot and it seems a little discombobulated. So let me connect it up again. Jesus spent 40 days in the desert and I really, <laughs> Nicole, I, I wish that Lauren was sitting in here Lauren Gribstead, if you don't know, whenever we're reading something and there's a number, she automatically knows the significance of it. So we'll just be reading about the, the number 70 in the Bible, and she'll be like, oh, that's a very complete number. We better pay attention to that. And she just kind of blows my mind. So I feel like if Lauren were in here right now and I said that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I can actually imagine her hand going up and saying, oh, we better pay attention to that because I remember that 40 days and 40 nights happens to be connected to how long the Israelites were in the desert. They were in the desert for 40 years. Way before they got into the promised land, there's that number 40. And I remember that Moses, before he met God, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights before he brought the law to the Israelites. And Elijah, before he also met with God, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. All of these were difficult journeys. And all of these were very, very significant. So we're thinking back to our Deuteronomy passage from today. And Israelite, the Israelites are just about at the end of their 40-year waiting period, their 40 years of desert place, and honestly, probably some misery was in that 40 years. And before they even get there, God said, think about your first fruits. 
you're going to give those to me. How do they know? They haven't even gotten to the promised land yet. They, they can't be sure. They have to go on faith. And so God tells them, but remember, you came from this poor foreigner who didn't know what he was doing, and then from there it got worse, and then it got worse, and then it got worse. And I carried you through all of that. And that's where these two passages connect today. Some of us are in that land of plentiful. Some of us are in that transition. And some of us are in that desert place. But they kind of intertwine and flow and ebb together. But when you're in that land of plentiful, give those first fruits because remember, all that awful stuff, when you were not in the land of plentiful, God carried you through. And so God is reminding them of their journey, of all this terrible stuff. And he says, remember that happened? All you had to do was have faith, and I got you through it. And then that terrible thing happened, and all you had to do was have faith, and I got you through it. You don't have the land of plentiful yet, but you're going to. So go ahead and plan out your first fruit offering. Jesus is in the wilderness, and people are reminded of this. We have this handy little lectionary that pairs these passages together, but even without that, we have this very vivid imagery of the 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus was fasting. And we are automatically brought back to the Israelites who suffered in the desert for 40 years. Now, when Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he did so because he was preparing to go onto the mountain before God. He was preparing for that God interaction and to bring the law to God's people. When Israel was in the desert suffering for 40 years, they were preparing to go to the promised land that God laid out for them and to bring God's promises to the nations. When Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he did so as he was on a very difficult journey being hunted. Before he sought out God, he was preparing to seek out God. There's always a preparation in these times. Jesus, in this passage goes into the desert as he prepares to do his ministry. There's always a preparation, and the wilderness is incredible for this. In this time of preparation, temptation and frustration happen. So Jesus has three temptations, and some of them almost today probably or, or something about their presentation almost seem a little ridiculous, a little bit. Jesus, 
if you bow to the devil, you'll get all these kingdoms. And I think all of us reading that today are like, well, that's a trap. <laughs> because, but I, I think that's a really, really crafty thing he did. And here's why. So here's the first temptation. The first one came when Jesus was incredibly, incredibly hungry. And Satan says, well, you're the son of God. You're kind of important. What's going to happen if you die? You should probably eat something. I'm just looking out for you. I mean, does that sound more reasonable than Jesus just willy-nilly bowing to Satan? That's, it's a lot more reasonable. Jesus might be tempted to say, you know what? I can't just die now. I haven't started my ministry. In Matthew, it's a little different still. Uh, it's plural. Turn these stones into breads. And there's an implication that maybe you should feed the hungry people. Well, that's reasonable. I'm Jesus. I have a ministry to the poor. I should do that. But Jesus doesn't bow down to that. And not so coincidentally, he responds with scripture from Deuteronomy. No, man should not live by bread alone. And it brings us right back to the Israelites again. The second temptation that's the one I think is really ridiculous Jesus bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms well he's the son of God so I was I actually was reading in a commentary and this is where it was pointed out well he's the son of God so he's going to earn these kingdoms eventually all kingdoms will be under Jesus's authority so what if Satan was saying well, you know, God wants you to have authority over the kingdoms of the world. Don't you want to do God's plan by having authority over the kingdoms of God's world? Are you a little unfaithful if you don't do this? Maybe God wants you to bow to me so that you can have authority over all the world. That puts it in a bit of a different perspective. It's not just this ridiculous request from Satan. So now where are you if you're the one in the desert place? And Satan comes to you and says, you can't die, you're the son of God, feed yourself. Or it is God's plan for you to inherit the kingdoms. You should probably just take care of that now and bow to me. That's a lot more crafty. It reminds me of a lot of sin uh, it reminds me of Adam and Eve's temptation in the garden. And they failed. But you know what? That was really similar. That was Satan saying, well, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Don't you want to be like God? If you weren't really firm in your faith, wouldn't you say, I bet God would want me to strive to be like him? It's really, it's really tricky. And Adam and Eve didn't pass that test, in case I, I don't know if I should have made a spoiler alert there or not. But Adam and Eve did not pass that test. And the Israelites didn't either. Their sins in the wilderness are an awful lot like Jesus' 
temptations here in, in the desert. In fact, again, we're meant to be reminded of this. The Israelites, they needed bread in the desert. What did they do when they needed bread in the desert? This is their first temptation and their first test. Adam has failed his test and Eve. Now we're on to the people of God. So God's chosen representatives in the garden didn't make the right choice. What will God's people do? They've asked to go back to Egypt to become slaves again. They're so hungry There's no bread and water in the desert. Let's not pray to God because he got us into this mess. Let's just ask to go back to Egypt because maybe we were slaves and oppressed, but we had food. It's Satan tempting Jesus with bread, only tempting the Israelites with bread, and they didn't make it. But God had compassion and gave them manna. He gave them rules. Just collect a little each day. It's another test of faith. Just a little each day, except before the Sabbath. Some of them didn't pass that test either. What about this third temptation of Jesus? You know... It would be okay if you just jumped down. In fact, Satan even, he even quoted scripture. He quoted from Psalm 91.11. He will command his angels concerning you. He'll guard you. He'll protect you. You're the son of God. You know what? You're the son of God. People will believe in you if you do this miracle. If you jump down off the top of the temple... Everyone will see and they'll say, oh, look, God protected him. He must be the son of God. Well, that's a temptation. Most of us wouldn't really consider jumping off the temple as a temptation. I used to think that was a really crazy thing to do. But it is. It's a temptation because he is the son of God. What if this is the start to his ministry? Jesus doesn't fall for it. But it's another answer to the Israelites in the, in the desert. They got to a place where they whined and they tested God. The water was not there. They were thirsty. And they complained and they grumbled, not just about Moses, but against God himself. And yes, God provided water once again, but they failed that test. They put God to the test and they said, isn't God even here? We don't have water. Is God even in this place? It's the parallel. Put God to the test. And so Jesus answers all of the parallel temptations that Israel faced in the desert. Only he did them right. And just before this passage in Luke, we're drawn once more as Luke. So genealogies are are disguised cleverly as boring, frustrating, pointless pieces of scripture. 
but they're very, they're actually definitely in, in costume because they're really intriguing. And in this particular genealogy, just before this passage, they mention Adam, of all people, <laughs> and, and we're meant to equate Adam to Jesus. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Israelites in the desert. Jesus is the one that God has chosen who's going to make it this time. Adam, didn't, Adam and Eve didn't make it through the temptation. The Israelites didn't make it through these parallel temptations. But Jesus does. And he quotes scripture every time. It's funny because Satan quotes scripture at him in these temptations. But Jesus quotes it back, only he does it right. So where does that leave us? We're in this Lenten time where maybe we are facing the wilderness. Maybe we're waiting to enter the promised land and we see the plentiful coming, but it's not there yet. Or maybe we're at that place of plentiful and we're contemplating an offering. Where are we? I want to say we cannot just skip past this wilderness place as much as we're tempted. And I want to say that we're not going to be like Jesus and get it right all the time. But there's a reason that this happened. Jesus was preparing for his ministry, and at the same time, his ministry included showing us the right way. These wilderness places are very, very important. All of these times, Jesus could have taken the easy route to get to his goal point of his ministry. And his goal point, maybe it was getting out of the wilderness, or maybe it was proving he was the son of God, or maybe it was inheriting the kingdoms to bring forth the kingdom of God. There were lots of goal points that maybe Jesus had for his life and his ministry and his relationship with God. And Satan gave him very cleverly uh, worded and disguised ways to take a shortcut there. And Jesus never did. He took the long path, even though he was in the desert starving and suffering. He took the long route because the long route was the one that included God. You can't cut God out of your relationship with God, by the way, or you probably can try. It's not a good idea. And so Jesus, Jesus would not go that route, and we can't either. This was what he was showing, that you're in this desert, and your temptation is to want to get out, but God is teaching you something. In the desert... The Israelites waited. And when they failed their test, they had to wait longer. And during those 40 years, God molded them. God shaped them. God provided for them. 
Even when they whined and grumbled, God provided for them. God loved them. God gave them a law to show them right from wrong. God gave them a system of offerings. God gave them, God gave them a way. God kept providing over and over. And he did that when they were in the desert place with nothing. Every time someone is in that desert place preparing, God does amazing things. And we see that these people are preparing, but they're doing important work with God. Israel, after they had had that preparation in the desert, then they were ready to go into the promised land. Could they have made a first fruit offering if they didn't know that God would provide? Could anyone have made a first fruit offering? I, I think of Cain, and I know that's a bad example. I think of Cain and Abel. And Abel made a first fruit offering. He gave the best of his flock to God. The best and the first. And God honored that. Would Abel have known to do that if Adam and Eve hadn't first experienced a history of God still providing for them, even after they had messed up. Abel knew of God, and he knew he could give God the first because he had seen God provide before. Abraham is the same way. Abraham didn't know who God was. His father did not worship God. His father probably worshipped a lot of gods. And Abraham was really unusual to be the first worshiper of this one true God. And so he took him, God took Abraham on a journey, and Abraham followed, but I think going on a journey isn't nearly as hard as sacrificing your son. Toward the end of that story, Abraham has to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. How could he possibly have done that? How could he have gotten to the point of giving that as his first fruit offering if he hadn't first gone through the testing and the waiting for years for an heir and all of this difficulty, but constantly seeing that God provided? He couldn't have gotten to that point. It's the same with Israel. They could not trust God enough to give their first fruit offering until they knew that God was a God who took care of them and loved them and provided for them. And more than just food that they would need to survive, but relationship and everything. God is not a God who sustains just our physical needs, but all of our needs. And so all of these people who were first tested and then brought to their goal or their promised land, all of them learned that God is a God who provides our very, very, very deepest needs, even deeper than we can imagine. All of these things we remember when we read this story about Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus is preparing something for us. We know it's the kingdom of God. And he's going through this time of preparation where he proves that he is the one who can fulfill God's promises. 
He is the one who can be tempted and still stick perfectly 100% to God's word. And then he shows us how. Jesus never shied away from praying. At this point in the temple, at 12 years old, we saw Jesus talking to his faith community about the scriptures. We see Jesus very, very, very well knowing the scriptures and being able to quote them and being able to do it well and with discernment and wisdom to defeat Satan. We are in a very lucky place because Jesus gave us that example. He gave us this example that we can pray, we can talk to our leaders and our faith community and learn more about God that way, and we can read scripture diligently and learn about God that way and resist temptation. And all this time, in that period, be building up our faith stronger and stronger so that we can get to that first fruit giving. And further, Jesus showed us that he did it with the Holy Spirit and then equipped us all the more by dying for us and giving us eternal life. Our ultimate goal is to make it to the coming of the kingdom. But what are our goals for Lent? I think we're all at different places. Some of us are in the wilderness place and we have our eyes on the promised land and we say, I want to get to this port, this point. Maybe it's a point in your relationship with God. Maybe it's a point in whatever goal that you've decided on for Lent. I want to get here. I just need to be faithful first. I need to go through this conditioning and go through this time with the Lord and he will build me up to reach his goals for me. Maybe you are in that place of abundance and that's excellent. But in that place of abundance, you can't forget that Jesus also brought you out of that place of wilderness. So what is your goal for going forward? Lent is a time where we get to think of all of this. And it's, it's exciting. It's goal setting with God. It's being able to say, I want to read more or pray this way or I want to memorize scripture or I want to be more involved in my community or Whatever your goal is with God, Lent is such an awesome time for setting those. But you have to work through those difficulties first and acknowledge them and remember that it was Christ who showed you the way and who provided the way through that desert place. So as we go into a time of offering, I want to challenge you to think of where you're at in your Lent journey. Whether you're in the promised land or in this desert place, where are you and what is your goal with God this season? And imagine what it can look like to travel with God through this time to get there.
Let's pray. Our God, thank you that um, you are always, always moving within us. Thank you that you are always, always with us in the hard times, in the times of plenty. And God, thank you that our journeys will not end until the day you return, and then some. All these things we lift up in your name. Amen.